And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. If you would, just stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. This is Luke 19. We're going to begin reading in verse 41. And here's what Luke says. And when he, Jesus, drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask for your blessing this morning in just uh, hearing and understanding your word. Help us to uh, hear uh, with uh, eyes that see and a heart that understands these truths of what it means, uh, the fact that you have visited us and you are visiting us this very day. Help us not to miss it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, this scene that I just read, which is right after uh, the, the, what we would call the triumphal entry, it's part of Palm Sunday. It's somewhat complex emotionally. From one perspective, Jesus says, yes, I am the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what they were saying, Hosanna. Uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is my city. This is, you, these are my subjects. But from another perspective... We hear sadness. No, there will be no rain in Jerusalem, no peace, no justice, no coronation day, at least not now. I have one week to live, and even that week will not be kingly. Many of those who cried Hosanna to Jesus at that triumphal entry in just a few days are going to be crying, crucify him, crucify him. And all the allegiance of the disciples vanished in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they abandoned him, every one of them. So here he stands before the city as a king who in just a matter of days will be crucified by his rebel subjects. What will he do? What will he say? Well, he says our text now, the text has three logical levels. The bottom level is Jerusalem's ignorance. In verse 42, they are ignorant of the things that make for peace. And in 44, they are ignorant of the time of their visitation. And the second level, which is really based on that first, is that terrible judgment is coming upon Jerusalem. The city is going to be leveled and its people dashed to the ground. That's verses 43 and 44. The third level is Jesus' response to all of this. He weeps. He expresses his willingness to make peace if they will but, but acknowledge the terms of peace. Now, I want us to look at each of these levels and, and see how they may apply to our lives. So, number one, you have the ignorance of Jerusalem. Judgment is coming upon Jerusalem, according to verse 44, because, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, what is this visitation? 
In the Old Testament, the term visitation was used for God's coming to His people. He was coming either to judge them or to save them. I'll give you a couple examples. In Isaiah 29, 5, it says, uh, and he's speaking to a rebellious people. He says, The multitude of your foes shall be like small dust, and in an instant, suddenly, you will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and with an earthquake and with a great noise. Well, that's a visitation of judgment. But in Genesis 50, verse 24, Joseph is talking to his brothers, and he says, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham. Uh, so that great deliverance from uh, at the exodus from uh, Egypt, that was a visitation, but it was a visitation not for judgment, but for salvation. There are two other places in uh, the book of Luke where this term visitation occurs, and we can see that uh, the visitation that is meant here in our passage is clearly a visitation of God to save His people. And, and He's saving them specifically through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Back in Luke 1, verse 38, Zechariah, you remember him? That's, that's John the Baptist's father. He prophesies about Jesus, and here's one of the things he says. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. He has raised up a horn of, a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. And in Luke 7, 16, this is after Jesus had just raised the widow's son from the dead. The people of the village of Nain, which is where he was, they were seized with fear and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. Both of those have to do with salvation. Therefore, when Jesus says to Jerusalem, you did not know the time of your visitation, he means you did, know, did not know that my coming to you is the coming of God for your redemption, your salvation. Jesus, or excuse me, Jerusalem was ignorant that the time in which they lived was absolutely unique. God and Jesus Christ had come into the world to announce his kingship and to gather his subjects into a new community. Never before had he come to man in this way. And never again would he approach the world like this. This time was unique. And the chosen people, the Jews, were by and large clueless as to how glorious yet ominous these days were. In Luke 12, 56, Jesus said to the crowds, You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? They didn't recognize their visitation. Now, why were they ignorant? Why does Jerusalem not know the time of its visitation? It's, it's an important uh, question that we need to answer because someone might say, well, how can they be destroyed for not knowing something? How can you be held responsible for what you were ignorant of? It's also important to answer because there are many people today who think that they know what they need to know, but in fact do not have true knowledge. 
Why did Jerusalem not know the king had come? There is a clue for us there in verse 42. He says, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace. Now, there's one other place in Luke where these terms are translated roughly things that make for peace. It's, it's found in a parable of Jesus in a few chapters before, Luke 14. Jesus said, What king going to encounter another king in war will not first sit down and take counsel whether he is able with 10,000 to come against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends an embassy and he asks for terms of peace. Now, terms of peace, that's the same phrase translated, things that make for peace in Luke 19 here this morning. So the picture we should have in our minds as Jesus approaches Jerusalem for the last time is that a king is coming to a rebellious city. It's a hotbed of resistance against his rightful authority. The king is willing to make peace, but only on his terms. When he says Jerusalem does not know these terms of peace, he does not mean that he never told them what those terms of peace were. Jesus had already cried out in Luke 13, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killing the prophets and stoning those who are sent to you. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you would not. There's the answer. The terms of peace had been spelled out by the prophets time and time again, as affectionately and as firmly as a hen goes after her chicks to protect them. Jerusalem knew the terms of peace, but she rejected them. The same is true about the time of their visitation. Had they not been told and shown that the king, in fact, had come? Well, yes, indeed they had. In Luke 17, it says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Lo, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. In other words, it's already here. Jesus went a long way to clarify that the current expectations for a political warrior Messiah were misguided. The king and his kingdom had already arrived. It was manifest in the power of Jesus' words and deeds. For example, he said in Luke uh, eleven twenty, If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Do they then not know the time of their visitation? Yes, they do know it. They know they have been visited, and they know the terms of peace. So when Jesus says, Oh, that today you knew the terms of peace, he uses that word know, K-N-O-W, in a different sense, and this is pretty common in the Bible. We looked at one, I believe it was last week and the week before. I'm going to use it again. It's in Matthew 7. Jesus says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who were lawless. Now, Jesus knows all of the facts there are to know about every man. What he means is, I never approved of you. 
I never acknowledged your rightness. I never accepted your work. That's the sense in which no is used in our passage today. Oh, that you knew the terms of peace means, oh, that you approved of these terms, that you acknowledged their rightness and accepted them into your life as that which governs your conduct. So the reason Jerusalem is guilty and liable to judgment is not because she was unaware or ignorant of God's visitation or His terms of peace, but because, to use Paul's words, the people suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. But why? Why did Jerusalem reject the terms of peace? The answer verse 42 gives, Oh, that you knew the terms of peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. It's all over for Jerusalem. God has already passed sentence upon them. In Matthew 23, 38, Jesus says to Jerusalem, this is in His last week, How often would I have gathered your children together, but you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken and desolate. God had forsaken Jerusalem and given them up to their own sin. And so they're irreparably blind. And all the terms of peace are, are hidden from their eyes. Jesus reveals to us something here that's very deep about His heart. On the one hand, He expresses His grief that Jerusalem rejected His, priest, uh, his, uh, his uh, peace proposal. He weeps and He cries out, Oh, that you knew the terms of peace. But in the same breath, He bows before the sovereign decree of the Father in heaven. God has hidden these things from their eyes. The divine mind is not simple. It is com complex. With Jesus, we get a glimpse into the heart of God. Viewing reality in one set of relationships, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, he does not delight in the death of the wicked. He is grieved at sin and destruction. But viewing reality in another set of relationships and from a, a larger, all-encompassing perspective, He deems it right and praiseworthy sometimes to hide the terms of peace. He shuts man up to his own sin and brings them to judgment. For Jerusalem, the historical form of, Jews, uh, uh, of judgment came in 70 A.D., now, this is the kind of the second logical level in our text is described in verses 43 and 44. He says, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Now, 40 years later, that prophecy, it came true. When that Roman general Titus, he besieged Jerusalem, conquering it and leveling the temple to the ground. Now, I say this is the historical form of God's judgment upon Jerusalem because the destruction of a city and even the loss of life in physical death, that's not the end. That is only the beginning of judgment. No one in all the Bible warned of hell as often or as vividly as Jesus did. And one of those warnings came to Jerusalem just a few days after this triumphant entry 
Jesus says to the Pharisees in Matthew 20, You witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpent, serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? The hen with the outs, outspread and beckoning wings has suddenly become a roaring lion. There is a too late in being with God. He may stretch out His wings to you and beckon you again and again to take refuge in His mercy. But there will come a point when the beckoning ceases and the sentence is passed and it's too late. How oft would I have gathered you, but you would not. Your house is forsaken and desolate. Now, all of that is very bleak and sober and fearful. But now we come to the third logical level in our text, and we conclude with some words of hope. The main reason we speak of hell is to motivate people to hope in God, to cherish His mercy more intensely. Luke didn't record this text just to inform us about Jerusalem's doom. More importantly, he wanted to encourage us that Jesus Christ is always eager and willing to make peace with anyone who will accept the terms of peace that he offers. He wept saying, oh, that today you knew the terms of peace. Oh, that today you would approve and accept as the charter of your life Jesus' terms of peace. After Jesus had died and risen from the dead and returned to the Father in heaven, He continued His peace offer to the world through us, through His ambassadors. Here's how Paul describes this ministry in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We beseech you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now that's just another way of saying, oh, that you would accept God's terms of peace. That's the main message of Palm Sunday today. The king has come to his rebel subjects. He's offered peace terms while the time lasts. In the terms of peace, they're rather simple. <laughs> Lay down your arms, especially the weapons of self-righteousness and, and self-sufficiency. Admit your defeat. Accept your full and free pardon, your total amnesty, and swear your allegiance to the new king in your life. Uh, there's nothing more satisfying in all the world than to be a believing subject of King Jesus. Picture him riding towards Jerusalem, that, that rebel city. A multitude praises him, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He knows the praise is shallow. In a few days, it will totally vanish. But he doesn't rebuke them. No, he actually defends them. The, the Pharisees, they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus replied, I tell you, if these were silent, talking about the people, the very stones would cry out. Now, he knew his days were numbered, but there was not a trace of self-pity in him. 
Isn't that the kind of king that you want for your ruler and your defender? Oh, that today you would take his terms of peace. I beseech you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray once again just for the, the, the moving of your spirit, that you would speak that truth to our, to our hearts, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand this truth, Father, that that peace offer is still going out today because of what Christ did on the cross and through his resurrection. Father, we give you praise and glory for that and ask that you would work that truth into our hearts and out into our lives even this very day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So just quickly, if, if, you're, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, if you've never given your life to God and, and asked Him to forgive your sins and trusted in the work that Christ did on the cross, well, I beg you, just as Paul says, be reconciled to God. You do it through Jesus. He paid the price that we could never pay. He paid that on the cross. And we simply trust in what Jesus did some 2,000 years ago in His death and then in His resurrection. Uh, that he now lives today. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. You turn to Christ today and give your heart to him. If you're a believer, I hope that you, you know, understand that, that yes, we live in a rebellious world. And, and because of that, if you're a believer, the world is actually in rebellion against you too. That's okay. We continue to offer that same peace to the world. That's what they're looking for. Remember the old song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places? died, didn't I? That's what the world does by nature. Uh, they try to fill this longing inside. We need, to, we need to point them to Christ because He's the only thing that will actually fill them, give them, give them satisfaction, a sense of purpose. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.